Welcome back to the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. And today we're here with our special guest, Tom Ryan. Hey guys, Tom Ryan here. So Tom's joining us here today because he has recently finished the film Theater of Terror, and he's got some exciting news following that same film. Yes, thanks for having me on, guys, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about our next project, which, as you mentioned, uh, The Theater of Terror was a recent anthology we finished, and we have some more stories to tell, so we are announcing the return to The Theater of Terror. Great. Uh, Follow-up anthology, brand new stories, four more shorts, and uh, we're really excited. We're super psyched to hear that. We all, I think, thoroughly enjoyed every aspect of Theater of Terror We got the chance to see it for the Long Island International Film Expo, and it's just been awesome to follow you and what you've been doing ever since then. Theater of Terror is, what is it, four, five stories? Four stories and a wraparound narrative. Amazing. So the stories featured in the original Theater of Terror are The Gift, Bookworm, Abducted, Endangered, and then there's the wraparound narrative. Uh, Tom, we were talking about this earlier. Is there a name for the main thread narrative that runs through an anthology? Good question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know there's there's been different um, references to it as a narrative or a wraparound story. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm stumped. That's all right. We were just trying to figure if that was anything. <laughs> yeah. Yo, that works. Wrap, wraparound narrative works. It's much better than what we were coming up with was was nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard uh, different terms for it. That's what we referred to it throughout the, the film. Because it was we didn't know whether or not we were going to get to shoot that. Even from the very beginning, it was basically, let's make one short film at a time and see how far we can get. And if we get to the end and we're able to then shoot the wraparound story, we'll have a full feature anthology. But if we're not able to complete some of the shorts or, 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 or all of them, at least we have a couple of really cool shorts that we made. So... That was the thinking. We kind of built it from the bottom up. And so that was the last thing we shot. And so we didn't really refer to it a lot until the end of the project anyway. <laughs> I do love that that's the approach you guys took because you can tell how much love and passion was put into each and every project because there's this very clear attention to detail through and through. And we're all, we love a good practical effect. And to see all oh, the yeah. practical effects that you used throughout each of these different stories, it was just amazing. And it's like, because you got to focus on each of those individual pieces, uh, nothing suffered for it. You weren't so wrapped up in like any of the, you know, making sure that we get to this, this and this. But like, it seems like you guys took your time with it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, there's a deep connection to each one of the shorts. And it's funny because you love the last one you did so much. And then you get on to the next one. And then it's just like a whole new love affair with that story or the making of that film or the, the, the practical effects, like you mentioned, that we got to work with. I was so excited to actually go from film to film because, you know, after we shot The Gift, I'm like, oh, my gosh, now we have to do these uh, this bookworm. And then after the bookworm, we're moving on to abducted. And now we have to do these UFO effects and this alien so, and then the werewolf. So you get it was really a great build and excitement in doing all those. And but absolutely, like every project that we worked on, every short film, it was 100 percent dedication to that. Like that is this might be the last one that we make in the anthology. So. We, we definitely put a lot of emphasis into each story. And because there was such a deep connection to it, the anthology was actually in the back of our minds. Like if we get these done and then we kind of had an idea of how we were going to connect them. And that's a funny story, too, because by the end of shooting the fourth short Endangered, 
we had to do a rewrite because some of the actors were not going to be available for a wraparound. Our intention was to actually have most of the main act, uh, act characters return for the wraparound. Uh, and we couldn't get one of them. And so it just destroys the idea of having any of them return. <laughs> so we kind of had to rework that. That was that was like the icing on the cake that we thought, like, if we get there, that's a bonus, you know. And luckily we got there and it was great. And we didn't get to do what we had intended to do. But I think what we were forced to do actually allowed us to be a little bit more creative about what the way that we told the story. And it also honestly saved us a lot of money because to have the entire cast return and the number of days it would have taken us to shoot that at the theater, our budget would have increased significantly. And I think we just kind of came in where we had to be reasonably. And um, and we got away with a really uh, a lot of people really love the wraparound story. So that's the bonus. I think that's one of my favorite things with it, because it really the wraparound story gives the theater of terror a life of its own. And I think not having the cast there really emphasizes that isolated standpoint that you come in from at the very beginning of the film. Right. It worked out. It all worked out in the end. We have to say we were kind of happy about that. Yeah, I think the theater itself really is the, to me, the shining star of, of the anthology uh, as a whole. Was the intent to to always have you be in the film? Because you you were fantastic. I know you've done some acting work as well. Thank you. Not necessarily. Yes and no. Not exactly in that character type. We were going to, I was kind of going to play this, this guy that was sort of like a ringmaster type, like Carnival Barker. And then we kind of toned that down a little bit. And I, and I thought it would be better if it wasn't too over the top. If it was something that kind of, you know, I think it related a lot more to cinema and to working in the theater, the character of Colin, like kind of being in the projector room. And that kind of worked a little bit better than this eccentric over the top like showman that you might find more like in a theater setting. I know it's called the theater of terror, but not in a movie theater, but on a stage, I think that yeah. that carnival barker type would have been and that that entire thing the approach that we took there had changed significantly from from conception to you know the end of the the end of the anthology where we said okay we have to shoot this thing and how are we going to do this and how are we going to manage it so a lot of that changed but in in the role that i in that i, that I did play i mean I, I always wanted to play kind of a role in it and i thought it was mm -hmm. only you know, I thought it was only fitting because I had done some acting and because, uh, you know, I, I am basically the theater of terror. I created the theater of terror. So, you know, <laughs> the fact that we're doing a movie, it's kind of the names, the namesake of the production company. I thought it would be kind of cool to be in it and represent somehow because I didn't want to play a larger part in any of the shorts. I really do enjoy directing actors that I've been dying to work with for a while. And I think because I also act in other people's independent films, I do get to dabble in that once in a while. So I don't necessarily seize every opportunity to throw myself in a film. But with that said, with the wraparound story, I says, yeah, maybe this is the kind of part that I could play, like a smaller part, you know, where I just kind of like the Rod Serling or the, the Crypt Keeper type character. Yeah, it reads like that and it plays very well. Thanks. Yeah. And I didn't want to really try to be too creepy about it either. So it was a funny <laughs> approach. Like I, I wasn't I didn't I wasn't trying to be like anybody else. And I didn't want it to seem like ridiculous, like I was trying to frighten anybody. But I thought just the fact that it, during the film, it, it's more about him referencing the best parts of going to the movies. And it, it comes off uh, almost endearing. And I like that because I, I know a little bit about your backstory with the particular theater that you guys used for Theater of Terror. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in that neighborhood, and that's the landmark Lowe's Jersey in Jersey City on Journal Square. 
Um, and right now it's, um, it's, you know, it's kind of funny because they are saving the theater. I mean, they, they've been restoring it over the years and slowly and trying to get landmark status in which it has landmark status. And so it's a, it's a beautiful place. Grew up going there. Saw Raiders of the Lost Ark there, Empire Strikes Back there. Saw so I mean, I can't even name all the movies I went there because at the time you kind of think that that's going to last forever. So, you know, you inhale it while you're experiencing it. Uh, but I mean, you saw from the, the film, it's a beautiful theater. It's just a, it's just it really is a movie palace. And uh, when that kind of thing was important, like making going out to the movies to seem like a really big deal. And um, I, I have a great relationship with the Friends of Lowe's that that take care of that uh, landmark theater. And so they're they're very they're very understanding and very um, passionate about independent film as well. They're they're passionate about the movies. That's why they work there and they take care of that place. So, uh, yeah, it only feels right. And that's my hometown to kind of go back and shoot there. And we had our, we held our premiere there, too, in January of 2019, which was really great because then we bring out the whole community and, um, you know, help the place and help people recognize. And there's always a ton of people like you that'll walk in and be like, you know, I didn't realize how beautiful this place is. And to hold the premiere there was cool because it's kind of like people are in the movie. They're literally in the theater of terror watching it. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous, man. <laughs> On the note of the locations, Anna had some questions about some of the locations that you guys had gotten a hold of. Yeah, so the theater is absolutely beautiful, as you said. Um, and it was the first thing that I thought when the movie started. I was like, how the hell did he get this theater? Because it's just the best location that you can yeah. get. But then also the library um, and even the house that they hold the Father's mem Memorial at. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. all of those locations were just absolutely stunning. I'm guessing you're using the same theater for the sequel. Yeah, that's the intention. Uh, I haven't officially uh, re reached out to the theater, but my hopes is that there should be no uh, nothing in the way of us returning there and bringing in a nice crowd for them. So yeah, that's, that should definitely be in, in the sequel. We can look forward to that. In regards to the library, the Glenbridge Public Library, a lot of independent filmmakers, I always encourage them. I say, you know, you have to reach out to your local community and you have to be willing to ask for things that you might not feel are readily available to you because the worst that they could say is no right and so the mansion and the library both of those locations i approached them i walked in i just told them i was a filmmaker i told them we were doing an anthology a short film i gave them a plot summary i kind of told them <laughs> the number of cast and crew that we'll have on set at a time the number of hours we probably require and um not not surprisingly they were very enthusiastic about it and excited about the opportunity to see a film shot, you know, on their property. And, uh, you know, the Glenridge Public Library is a beautiful library. Oh, yeah. And that's where we shot the bookworm. And I probably scouted about seven to ten libraries in the area, in the vicinity of our location. And um, they, they're all really updated now with these metal racking systems. And they just didn't have that cozy, warm feeling like. You know, you picture a library as a kid, the floors usually had carpets on them and all wooden shelves and you could smell the books. And it's it, I was really amazed to find how many libraries didn't have that kind of aesthetic in there anymore. And so when I went to Glenridge Public Library and I saw the spiral staircase like leading upstairs and I saw the wooden shelves and these giant oil paintings of the people that had, you know, um, founded the library and, and these other bizarre paintings on the wall and these giant <laughs> windows. And I just said, I've got this is this is it. And so I spoke to them and they were great about that. 
the mansion was the same way. It's the Oakside Manor. Uh, it's in uh, uh, Bloomfield, New Jersey on Belleville Avenue. It's an old colonial. It's beautiful. I walked in there, approached them the same way and said, hey, we'd love to shoot here. And, um, you know, they, they kind of said, OK. And, and the town was very helpful in that sense. There was a lot of uh, filming permits that we were able to um, avoid because they understood the level of our production as an independent film production. We, you know, you just reach out to your town. You know, we talk to I talk to people in our town. I talk to our council members, send an email to the mayor, to the arts, to the arts council, you know, and we get these locations and they, they just add so much when you're doing an independent film with such a low budget. Little things like that really sell your film and really up your production value. These are easy things that you can do to up your production value. Absolutely. It creates an aesthetic and an atmosphere. And having worked in locations, I definitely love what you're encouraging here because a lot of the things you'll come across is some of these locations have never been used for film in the past and they don't know that that's even an option for them. So to just start discussing it, you find that people are going to be excited and on board and like, this is something new for them that they hadn't considered before. So it's not necessarily a no, but a how. Right. Absolutely. The staff in, in both locations were amazing and, and in the theater as well. Very accommodating and just excited. I mean, we had some of the librarians when we shot in the Glenwich Public Library were there with us until about one in the morning while we're like pulling worms over this guy's face and <laughs> webbing him up and dropping a moose. And they loved every minute of it. And like you said, they'd never seen anything like that before. And so they just, they just love the experience. You know, one thing with me, with the brand of horror that we do and the way we kind of pitch the theater of terror is that, you know, we're not just trying to appeal to horror fans. We are trying to appear to people that grew up watching the twilight zone, but they don't go to horror con or people that grew up watching the outer limits or people that watch creep show in the 80s or whatever but they're not really nuts about horror they just kind of got exposed to the more popular things that a lot of us you know saw uh, and 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 fell in love with you know people that love jaws and that don't necessarily walk around with a freddy krueger t-shirt on or somebody that watched the omen or whatever and so i feel like they're like appealing to just a niche group of horror fans so of course i love and they're, they're our greatest supporters but i feel like there are more people that these kind of films can appeal to and a lot of these people are the people, the librarians, the guy that, that works in the mansion. And you tell them, hey, this is our story. And they watch the movie and they love it. But they normally wouldn't attend some horror con where your movie was playing. Or So I feel it's important for, to reach out to those type of people in the community. And when they see what's happening, they're so much more supportive and they're so much more excited about the projects because you know, they, 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 they get to understand that and without, without insulting it at all, but there's more than just like violent grindhouse films out there. You could watch stuff that's really intelligent and scary and creepy that doesn't shed a, a, a drop of blood throughout, just leaves you with a really eerie, uneasy feeling. And, um, because that's what we did in the anthology that I feel like it's necessary to reach out to those people. Cause with a name like the theater of terror, you, it sounds like right away people are like, no thanks, you know? Yeah, it'll definitely turn people off from that. But I think this is a, a great gateway piece. Like just watching it, like I've watched it, I think like three, four times now. And it makes me want to show it to other people that I want to indoctrinate into this sort of like grander world of not necessarily horror, but cinema in general. Just like sitting down and, and watching this, it instantly shot me back to like you said, like I grew up watching Twilight Zone, Creepshow, and like in the 90s, like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like I love like little 
horror segments and the the wraparound plot having it bring it all together like i want that kind of story and like you you really nailed it with this and i just like i said i want to show it off yeah i mean that being said there's substance behind the horror there's substance it's not necessarily a scare or shock for shock's sake it's something disturbing and unnerving that you're left to sit with and you're sitting in this theater absorbing that and being a part of what this is leaving you feeling like there are things that kind of gross you out and disturb you i think the the most quote-unquote gruesome piece of the anthology that you guys have is endangered otherwise i can't really think of any real bloodshed that occurs throughout the series oh none really i mean you know you have the you have the one john that 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 slips on a beer bottle and cracks his head open (laughs) in the gift aside from that you have a girl that's bloodied in a in a garbage bag and abducted but you're right we kind of i don't want to say we avoid that kind of stuff i i guess i'm just not gratuitous with it like if i'm telling a story and that is not a necessary part of the story then it's not in the story and, and 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 like you said, I'm trying to appeal to a deeper sense of just that cryptic, eerie, uneasy feeling that you get when you watch something like especially if you watch some 70s occult horror film, like most of it is just kind of dialogue and creepy situations. But there's it like and you shut it off and you just kind of having nightmares about that stuff. It's something that I think we enjoy touching on because it's not easy to tell a good story. And, you know, I find that in, a, in some horror these days that you watch, you see that they rely on the jump scares more and the creepy clown and the, you know, the, the, the cool demonic editing of the Japanese girl with the wet hair. And, and like they, they were, that stuff is very cool visually, but sometimes when you see movies just kind of relying on that stuff, you there's lose no takeaway. There's no takeaway. In fact, like The Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt or, or The Outer Limits or Night Gallery, not all of those were a home run, not all those episodes, but there was a good handful of them that did leave you with that cryptic takeaway that that, that I think that unsettling feeling has that a lot. It lasts a lot longer and lingers with the viewer a lot longer than the jump scare does. I think that's yeah. actually what I loved the most about the whole thing was I'm always trying to make the point because I'm I'm stuck in an era I wasn't even alive for, like the 30s to the 70s, that's pretty much my whole thing. Yeah. And I always make the point that even original Dracula is not a drop of blood, but it still gives you exactly the same story. Sure, and sure. And like shock for shock's sake is just an overused tactic now. So it's just nice to have actual stories that leave you with a presence rather than relying on just visual scares and jump scares. But I love the fact that there was like four different genres in there. So there's like the dark drama, there's the creature feature, there's the um, sci-fi, and then there's like the overlapping like pure horror story. Right. Uh, is that the same sort of thing that you're going to follow up with? Yeah, actually we are. So the return to the theater of terror has very similar. We have a dark drama, which is, um, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to pull up. We're getting all of our pitch stuff together. We're going to be, we're going to be raising uh, money for this one. Uh, we're going to have a fundraiser for this one because um, if I didn't, the movies would be already be in production right now. If I had to, <laughs> but we are actually starting in February. Um, um, with the first first one, which is called Soothsayer. But what I'd like to do is kind of pull up my descriptions of each so I can give you a nice a nice Ooh, thorough description of what, that would what be our amazing. films yeah, are going to be. So we are doing four, and we are going to have a dark drama. We are going to have... It, this one's going to be hard. 
to be called a creature feature, but I'll, let me give you the synopsis and I'll let you guys <laughs> take what it will. So Soothsayer is going to be our first film. This is our doc drama. And it's about a brilliant scientist and his assistant who discover the secret of time travel, albeit with certain limitations. When he demonstrates his new device for an old colleague, he catches a horrifying glimpse of what the future holds and is determined to prevent it. So this one we're starting to shoot in February. I'm really excited about it. We have a great cast, Anthony Grasso, um, Samantha Johnson, and Dennis Oy. It's it's a small cast, great locations. I know you guys love locations. Oh, this yeah. one is going to be, you're going to love the locations in this. And just so your audience knows, we have built a time machine that um, you guys are going to see really soon. We're not going to hide it for the movie. You know what I mean? We're going we're gonna to put it out there, but you'll see it. But we put a lot of work that. into this one. Really excited about that one. Splinter. Now, Splinter is a short film that is, uh, this is going to be sort of our creature feature, but it's about an ancient shaman curse, okay? Native American shaman curse. Uh, while renovating his recently inherited home, Scott Wills steps on a small splinter. The wound only continues to get worse as he slowly learns the history of the town, its people, and a terrible family legacy. This one, um, this is a great short story that was originally, a script was sent to me by one of my producers, Todd Sturridge. I read it. I really liked the idea. We did a rewrite on it because I thought there were some things that we needed to emphasize and, and pull out of the story. I'm really excited about this one. Like I said, it has to do with this Native American curse. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be like, again, totally different subject matter than anything we've done. And um, it's going to have some great practical effects in it that I'm excited to work on. That's all I can tell you. Okay. <laughs> now we've got Robot. Uh, Robot is the uh, third. This is our sci-fi. And this one is actually going to uh, star my son, Jack Ryan. And it's going to be his first part. And I've run lines with him because I'm, I didn't want to just cast my son because I want my son to be in a film. My daughter, Cariana, was had a small part in The Gift. And uh, so my son Jack's going to be in this one, but we've run lines together and he's pretty darn good. And I think for this character, so I think it's going to be fun. But Robot is about young Jack lives in an abusive home. One night he witnesses what appears to be a meteorite landing in the nearby woods and discovers a small damaged robot at the crash site. Fascinated by his find, he brings it home as a keepsake. But this robot is sentient and rapidly becomes aware of the dire circumstances surrounding his rescue. So this one's really, you guys, I think you guys are going to love the story. What we try to do with all our stories too is like there, we don't, I think you saw that in the first anthology, but we don't exactly serve you up a really predictable short? No, not at all. So I, I don't think this one is going to be very predictable. And we're really excited about this one. I've been speaking with a great uh, visual effects guy. We're actually going to incorporate some CGI into this uh, into this anthology this time. We're still going to have a lot of practical effects, but we basically have to. There are things that you just can't do practically. Uh, for instance, Soothsayer, the time travel thing. There's going to be things that we have to do visually that you just can't do with practical effects. Sure. Um, you know, there's, there's, I love practical effects for monsters and blood and guts and stuff, but there's other visuals like space travel and stuff is really hard to do. Just, you know, maybe not the ships, maybe not the planets, but like a lot of the <laughs> stuff you need to know. But we've been talking to a great uh, effects artist for that one and for some of the others. Now, to close out, the anthology is going to be our kind of straight up horror one which is going to be called haunted carl mcgavin is a less than professional paranormal investigator who receives a call for help from a widow in distress ever since her late husband's passing she and her daughter have been harassed by a poltergeist mcgavin takes the job but what he discovers turns out to be much more than he bargained for so again this is going to be a, I, I you know i wanted to do a ghost story 
okay? And so we've got our ghost story. We've got our ancient shaman curse. We've got our robot sci-fi. We've got our Sutsay time travel story. So we've got some really exciting new material that we're going to get to work with. That's totally different from the first film, but uh, just as exciting nonetheless. So Yeah, I got chills right now, man. <laughs> so like you were saying, uh, one, of, one of the things I liked the most about the original was the sort of uh, flipping of the script when it comes to the ending of a lot of these, where they're not necessarily twists. But they lead you away from what you would naturally be expecting. I I, I thoroughly appreciate that. And uh, can I jump in on that yeah, for please. a sec? Aliens creep me out. Like they've creeped me out since I was a kid. Oh, he was I have so a stoked real problem about this. with them, <laughs> especially the Greys. So like abducted, I'm sitting there like this is my uncomfortable film. I've had a good time up until now, and like, <laughs> right, right, but yeah. then the ending. I felt there was some retribution there. So yeah, okay. yeah. I'm okay with this. <laughs> I'm okay with that he suffers that thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but sorry that's, to cut that's, you off the... No, not at all. Not at all. And and yeah, that's what we kind of try to do with what these shorts are kind of going to have that same feel to them as well. Yeah, it, it's it's fun because I think that's kind of what the twilight zone did to you too a lot of times like you know you knew that there was going to be when you watch the twilight zone you always knew there was a bad ending coming for somebody right but it wasn't always exactly the ending that you expected and sometimes what people don't discuss a lot is that there is sometimes like retribution at the end of the twilight zone episode where you know somebody will kind of find their way so there's there's always that possibility and i kind of like going into a film and not knowing you know exactly so a great example of that, I mean, it's a little bit more drastic, is um, From Dusk Till Dawn, right? You go in and you're watching, like, of course, people turned around and kind of made public that it was a horror movie, but it kind of looked like an action movie at first. I don't remember the trailer for it, so I don't remember if they exposed it as as a, as a horror movie. But when you're watching the film and the, then to flip the switch on you like that, I think that's that's a lot of fun. You know, when you watch something like that, that's a lot of fun. And so now, of course, it's not that a dramatic, a dramatic change in, in our films, but I just like that whole sense that you kind of feel like you're going somewhere with something and then some, it just kind of gets flipped on its head or <laughs> there's just something surprisingly satisfying, like you said about the end of Abducted, that you're just kind of like, OK, all right, cool. That went totally not the way I expected it to. So which we got a lot for Abducted. That's awesome. And I think that's. Uh, it's also a piece of the horror genre. I mean, it's one of the only genres that I think fully encompasses every other genre. Like you have now eight wildly different stories and they incorporate sci-fi drama. They incorporate, uh, you know, a little bit of romance, history. There's just there is something in horror for everyone. And sitting through an anthology, you get different pieces of that. And that's one of the best things is like if you're not feeling a particular piece, it will change and you'll still get a complete story and there will be something in there for you. Yeah. We joked about that kind of stuff at production meetings too. Like after we're going over the four scripts, we're like, well, some, so people are going to like at least one of these stories, you know? And that was kind of the approach. We loved them all, of course, but yeah, I, I like the variety and I think the fans like the variety because when you're sitting in a feature film, but you find out it's an anthology there's a little bit more willingness to kind of sit down and watch it as opposed to like, Oh, what is it? And it's like, you know, well, it's, um, it's a film about this dude that comes back from the dead and starts killing all these people to get revenge. And you're like, all right, ah, I want to sit through a feature lane. Like, I kind of heard of this film before, but when you're like, Oh, it's an anthology, there's four different shorts. 
you kind of go into it with a little bit more excited. Like, all right, first one sucked. Let's see what the second one's like. Or, oh, first one was great. Let's see what the second one's like, you know? So either way, it's that variety, I think, just kind of helps, keeps the fans in their seats, keeps them interested. And what I love is that it inspires people to discuss, like, every separate short. And, like, which is my favorite? Which was the, uh, this one scared me. That one didn't. This one I could relate to. That one, you know, whatever. And so it's just kind of a great conversational-wise. It's Anthologies are always fun because there's just so much variety to it, you know? I definitely agree. Now, Anna and Doza, did you guys have any other major questions lingering for uh, Theater of Terror 1? Yeah, I um, I was curious. I, I, I think about this a lot. Uh, like, how much of your initial vision for the Theater of Terror for each of the individual shorts, like, made it into the final film? And how much, like got left on the the cutting room floor so to speak so not so much on the cutting room floor at all if we shoot stuff it's usually stuff we want to keep stuff that didn't make it to the screen so in endangered i think we wanted to get a lot more werewolf stuff the problem was we had i i built these stilts that if you guys i don't think you guys have the blu-ray of of the theater of terror but on the blu-ray we have an extra section where we, it's all behind the scenes stuff about the entire anthology, the making of all the films, the special effects guys talk about it. That's amazing. Tom, where can people find the Blu-ray and DVDs of Theater of Terror? Theaterofterror.net. And it's uh, T-H-E-A-T-R-E, theaterofterror.net. And there's links right on the homepage there that you could kind of scroll through to pick that stuff up. We also got distribution through Bayview Entertainment. So if you go to Bayview Entertainment's website, you can find it there. I think Barnes & Nobles is selling it. They're doing the DVDs. Awesome. Um, so the Blu-rays would only be at theaterterror.net with those extras on it. But yeah, we built these stills for this werewolf uh, costume, and they worked great. And there's a video of me walking around in my living room with the stilts on. And unfortunately, when we got out in the wilderness and in the woods and the, uh, the ter- rough terrain out there, they did not function the way that we had expected. And so we weren't able to get as much of the werewolf walking around as we wanted to. And I mean, the, the actor, Pat Boyer, who plays the werewolf, he's seven feet tall already. So he's oh, a pretty big guy. <laughs> so the, the, with the stilts, he was like nine, which was great. It was like, you know, one of my biggest influences is the howling. And I loved that the wolves were these towering creatures. So luckily we had these two benches out there in the woods that for some of the shots, we had him stand on the benches instead <laughs> to, to get him to be that tall. Mm-hmm. But it was frustrating and it was nighttime and the terrain was very uneven. And the, the fact that we couldn't get the stilts to work, I think we would have lot, liked to have gotten a little bit more werewolf footage on screen. Bookworm, we got as much of the worms as we really wanted to and wanted to show. <laughs> when we wrote it, we had like a lot more worms in it, but to pull it off practically, it was really going to be difficult. And we didn't want to throw in a bunch of cheesy CGI worms into it, yeah. you know? So we just kind of felt like, you know what, let's, let's stick it to, to what we've got. The alien and abducted, I think we got everything we wanted to. I mean, damn, the fact that we got the UFO in the woods was, was a home run for us. And that turned out so much better on set than in concept. We had um, Kenny Wills, Todd Sturridge's dad, came out and he works. Um, he does how he helps bands do concerts and he's got stage lights and everything. And he came out and he hooked it up and uh, it came out great. A few smoke machines and some movie magic sprinkled <laughs> yeah. over it. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a great effect. Yeah, very effective. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. It was it was great. But, you know, this is. 
this is the kind of stuff we pride ourselves in. Like we don't shut stuff down because we under, we, we think that we our budget's just not big enough. We just kind of figure out how we can make it happen, ask for a few favors and do what we can. But like, I don't think we would have made that film if we couldn't have made it the, as good as we did. Because it's, it, was, it was just really important, you know, that that turns out. And that's the kind of stuff I stay awake at night thinking about before we shoot a film. It's like, how is that going to look, you know? So we ran tests at my house and in the backyard. Like I said, that, that stuff is all available on the Blu-ray. Like, you just see all the all the dumb stuff we had to go through to finally figure out, like, yeah, this is going to work, you know? I love that. The special effects and just having special features like that on a Blu-ray, showing the ins and outs of filmmaking. It's like a crash course in filmmaking you can't get better than that it's really good and i encourage people to watch it because it took me a really long time to edit the extras and i did it for the passion but i was i totally regretted starting it because it was literally <laughs> it, it was literally like making another feature film wow i can imagine especially you wrote all four shorts you directed edited you did sound design acted you were hands-on for every element of this film now did you give yourself a break at all in Return to Theater of Terror? I've, well, I've already written the the the, the, the films, so I'm going <laughs> to direct them too. So not it hasn't happened yet, but I'm hoping that uh, you know what it is, man. I I can't complain. I really have such a passion for doing this stuff that I do enjoy every aspect of it. It is draining, uh, but it's totally rewarding at the end of the day. See, I'd love to work with a bigger production crew and be able to kind of just spread out the workload a little bit. But unfortunately, there's a lot of things about independent film when you're when you're on that restrictive budget. And it's not just about paying people, but it's about paying people to care about your film as much as you do. You know, it's, it's, and that's different. You know what I mean? Like you could pay somebody to to, to be your, your sound guy. But if it's just a job for him, sometimes you're waiting for him to get the job done or or the work is not what you thought it might be or what have you. Uh, and I've never run across that problem. Technically speaking, I have a great sound guy that I work with. He's one of the people that actually makes my films better than they used to be. And he's a great guy to work with. But I just mean in general, when I'm talking about stuff like like that, like you would, I would love to have a bunch of people that I gave the work to and was and, and, and was able to pay them good enough where they treated your film like it was really important, as important as it is to you. And I, I'm very practical when I say, I know no one cares about my films <laughs> as much as I do, <laughs> you know? And so I understand that. But right now I do have a handful of great guys, cinematographers, sound engineer, musicians uh, who's, who dedicate you know, or donate their music to the films. There's we have a great circle of people that we work with. But unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff that like editing for me. I just love editing. I'll, I'll leave it up to the well, audience to you. decide whether <laughs> whether or not I'm a good editor. But I, I love editing. I could pay a guy to edit. But the, when I did my feature film faces, my cinematographer did the editing and it was it was torture for me to sit home, just not doing anything, wondering how the editing was coming out. And that was that was pure torture for me. And he did a fantastic job editing the film. But I started becoming like that nagging mom, like calling him up, like, how's the edit coming? How's the edit coming? Can I see the edit? You know, that's going to be something that's hard for me to turn over. But uh, I, like I said, I can't complain. I enjoy doing it all. It is very time consuming and filmmakers have a passion for what they do. So this kind of stuff is, I don't want to say it comes easy, but it's just, you know, you embrace it. You embrace the yeah. struggle. <laughs> now, Anna, did you have a question? I thought, I don't know if I cut her off. I was just going to ask where, are you? You're, have you got a fundraising page for the next film? Yeah, so we, do, we don't have the, fun, the fundraising page up just yet. I am hoping we'll have, you know, gosh, it's already f 
So I was going to say, I hope we have it by the end of this month. And I thought we were still in January. <laughs> I hope we have it up soon. Pretty active on social media when it comes to stuff like that. So I'll make it known as soon as it comes up. Our website is a place that I really encourage people to go by and subscribe to our emails because I don't bombard people with stuff, just updates. Like if we're working on something new, you'll get an email. Or if we're doing a casting call, we'll put it out there. But uh, we'll be announcing that soon. I've been rehearsing my pitch <laughs> for a couple, of, for like a week and, and just kind of fine tuning it and trying to make it right. It's tough. You know, honestly, I, I, I despise having to um, raise money for films. I wish I wish people were knocking on my door with suitcases full with money saying, <laughs> I saw your last movie and it was amazing and I need you to make another one. Uh, but that's what we're working towards. You know, it, that's, it's about exposure. It's about, you know, like I said, we got distribution through Baby Entertainment. They're going to they're going to deliver some more exposure for us as well. We're just trying to make quality films that people will appreciate and maybe remember our names and remember who we are and look for more stuff from us. And then hopefully, eventually, we won't have to do that anymore. But in this case, what we're just hoping is that the fans loved what we did with Theater of Terror and, and our previous films, the energy we bring for people that meet us at cons or at film festivals. They know we're, we're very excited about meeting our friends and fans and other filmmakers and people that love horror and just sharing our stuff. And we're kind of relying on the fact that we think people know that we deliver a certain quality of horror. We approach it in a certain way and, and, and filmmaking. And we have a respect for the genre and respect for the art form and, and respect for the fans. And so we're just trying to we're just trying to reach out to them and say, hey, if you love what we do, maybe you could help us get to this next project, because I think they know now that we always deliver. You know, we don't raise money and then disappear for four or five years and then put out a crappy film and then charge you for the for the, you know, the VHS print that we made or whatever. We promise perks. We deliver those perks right away before the film's even done, if we can. And, and we deliver on, 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 our, on what we promise filmmaking-wise, which is good storytelling, good acting, good locations, practical effects, and, you know, our best efforts. Yeah, we're going to be launching it soon in a couple of weeks. Hopefully the fans will check us out and do it. And if we don't reach our goal, again, same with our first anthology, we're going to make as many short films as we can. And then hopefully by the end of all of it, you know, the momentum, the support will get us to the finish line and we'll have another completed feature anthology for the fans to enjoy. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah we'll right definitely on. share that around as well. Thank you. So apart from setting up a fundraising page, are you guys doing anything else to raise funds for the film? Good, great question. The fundraising page is probably where where we where, where we're going to start. You know, we always have every dollar that goes to buying one of our Blu-rays or our DVDs from our, the website that goes straight into our next picture. Um, you know, I always... Despite the fundraising campaigns, I always wind up investing some of my own dollars into a film. Like I said, we're shooting Soothsayer in in, um, uh, in February. We're, we're we're about a week and a half away from beginning to shoot uh, Soothsayer, and so we haven't started the fundraiser yet. So you know, and we did the same thing with the with the gift when we started shooting the gift. We kind of shot that I think like a month before we even started our film our fundraiser. It was already shot when we started it. So we're gonna get this thing going, and uh, we're gonna see what you know how much we can get and what we can do with that uh, budget but if if you have any ideas of any other ways we can raise money let me know <laughs> i do and i'm going to talk to you about that after <laughs> awesome do you guys have any questions about return to anything else you guys want to know coming up you know strangely we must have been on the same wavelength or something because a lot of my questions just like came up naturally while you were talking tom so hell yeah i guess my look when i talk long enough i'm bound to answer all the questions <laughs> <laughs> but go uh, ahead please i know you. my only remaining question uh is do you need extras? Because we have got nothing going on. <laughs> yeah, it, you know what? And it's really, it's really funny that you say that. And I was talking to my producer today about extras and um, about just something. 
a few hypotheticals we're throwing around for the wraparound story, but there's a good chance that we might actually require a lot of extras at one point. And it's something that I, you know, we were discussing it and I said, and it was one, it was more of a negative in the discussion to be honest. Like, yeah, but, but then we got to get a lot of extras, man. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. But with that said, I don't think we've ever had a problem getting extras on set. So um, it's not something that would deter us, just the thought of doing it. There might be an opportunity for that. I can't promise it because it's not something that we've um, uh, that we've worked out fully yet in our concept. But there's a possibility, man. And if there is, again, subscribe to the website, follow our Facebook page because, you know, follow me, me personally on Facebook because this is all I post about. Like when I need extras, I it's announced. Like we make the grand pronouncements everywhere. I'll make there'll, there'll be JPEGs, you know, posters <laughs> calling all extras. We will definitely do that. So stay tuned to our page because we love to get the fans involved. You know, yeah. love to get you guys on set. And when we shoot extras, we shoot faces, man. Don't worry. You guys will be, you guys will get some screen time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> By all means, if it comes up, please kill me on screen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the second request. Everyone wants to be killed. Now, Tom, what are some of the um, social media links that people can follow you guys at? All right. So on Facebook, we're, we're just Theater of Terror. Website, theateroftero.net. Instagram, we are Theater Terror at Theater Terror. On um, Twitter, we're also at Theater Terror. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Tom Terror One. Um, we're also on the Slasher app. Uh, I'm on there as uh, Tom Terror. I'm gonna I mean, add you right now. Yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah I'm on Slasher. Um, yeah, and one. if anybody wants to write me, they can write me at info at theateroftero.net. Right on. I'll drop the links in the description. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, thank you, man. <laughs> this rules. Anna, did you have any final questions, comments about uh, Return to? No, I think, as Doza said, all of my questions have been answered. I'm just looking <laughs> forward to, to seeing it. Yeah, and I, really I hope through. you're sharing the film out there in England as well, Anna. Oh, completely, yeah. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Tom, was there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about for uh, anything upcoming with Return to Theater of Terror? I think that's about all I'm willing to divulge at this moment about Return <laughs> oh, come to on. Theater of Terror. <laughs> And to be honest with you, I don't like to talk about um, uh, projects too much until we start getting to work on them because I know how obstacles can arise and everything. So, um, yeah, of course. But once the yeah, once the project uh, matures more and we're kind of in the middle of it, I'll definitely be doing some updates. Maybe I can return and tell you guys how it's coming and and um, and how everything's going on. But uh, we do have at the end of this month, um, I'd like to mention the Grindhouse Nights Film Festival that's hosted by the horror nerd himself, Todd Starooch. I'm a co-host on that. You know, it's an independent film um, festival that takes place at Roxy and Dukes at Donnellan, New Jersey. And uh, it's coming up, I think, on February 29th. And if there's any local horror fans that want to check it out, it's really fun. We show uh, all types of films, international, local, uh, national, from everywhere around the world. And um, a lot of the filmmakers and the actors show up, at least locally. There's usually burlesque performance that takes place. It's a it's a great local film festival. It's a passion of ours to share the indie films. There's no uh, it's no award ceremonies for at best anything. We just share everyone's film. We do Q and A's with whoever shows up, and um, we have a lot of fun drinking beers and eating cheeseburgers. That sounds like right a great on, yeah. time. We're local enough. We'll, we'll see what we got going on. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, guys. It's we we take a lot of pictures. It's 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 always a blast. It's a it's definitely a community event. If you want to stop by that Facebook page, Sue Grindhouse Nights. I think it's now just called uh, Grindhouse Nights Film Festival on Facebook. But if you check that out, it's a lot of fun. You look at the pictures. We have a blast. It's just the best parts of enjoying independent horror. It's it all takes place on on that night. Awesome. 
Tom, thank you so much for everything you shared with us today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Nice to nice to talk to you. Nice to see you guys again. And nice to meet you, Anna. Thank and thanks you. for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your support. Absolutely. We're happy to help. And, you know, we can't wait to see what comes of Return to Theater of Terror. And, uh, you know, everybody out there listening, if you want to check out Theater of Terror, check out all of Tom's information. Yeah, I'll drop all those links everywhere I possibly can. Get yourself a copy. Watch it. Watch it a million times. Doze and I are on three or four times already. Before we wrap up, we've got some uh, final rituals. Uh, We all usually recommend a film uh, that we want people to see just because it might be, you know, people haven't seen it before or just something that like inspires us or just any film that uh, you want people to see. Okay. Should I should I start or do we all go or do I just go? Sure. Tom, do you want to start? It's all of us. Why don't you guys go first, and I just so I can hear what you guys pick first. <laughs> while, I look, while I look one of the top ten must-see movies. Ah, it's taking Anna's role in this one. <laughs> For real. Yeah, usually I'm running around trying to find a recommendation. I have one today, though. So then do you want to start us off? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I was thinking on the basis of anthologies, and one of my favorite anthologies is uh, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, mm. which is a British 1965 movie starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Course, great. as yep. most of my recommendations <laughs> and it's directed by freddie francis who actually happens to be the director of tales from the crypt movie yeah. as well it's another amazing anthology that i just wanted to slip in there that's a great one but dr Those terror's are... house bar is probably one of peter cushing's best roles oh, for me yeah. personally uh, yeah. he plays a tarot reader who predicts everyone's deaths basically with tarot cards and it's just this great little anthology that's awesome Anna, you may have seen this. Vincent Price's Twice Told Tales from 63. Yep. So they're interpretations of Nathaniel Hawthorne's uh, short stories. Starring and presented by Vincent Price, he kind of takes on the sort of, like, Rod Serling role, introduces the stories, and then inserts himself into each of the the little shorts. And it's a fun little anthology that I, I really cherish. Love it. Love it. So I kind of steered away from anthologies oh shit sorry (laughs) no i mean it's all good there aren't enough horror anthologies out there i can't stress that enough so again tom thank you for making this something that people can watch and continue to enjoy so naturally well i'm going to recommend theater of terror i'm also going to recommend jack brooks monster hunter on the grounds that a lot of the imagery in that kind of reminds me of bookworm it's very like it's a very gooey film, <laughs> some great practicals, and it's a ton of fun. Awesome. So, yeah, I didn't know we were going to pick anthologies, but since we are, I didn't see the uh, the Vincent Price one, and I haven't seen Monster Hunter, you said? Uh, Jack Brooks Monster Hunter. Jack Brooks Monster Hunter. Okay, I'm going to look that up. So, a super inspiring, campy anthology that I grew up in, absolutely loved, and still watch as often as I can till this day is the monster club with Vincent Price and and John Carradine. That was definitely something that was embedded in my head when I saw it as a kid on television. And it's one that people should watch. It is very campy, but it's got some great stories. You know, I guess uh, just an overview of it is that basic Vincent Price approaches John Carradine about joining this club of monsters and within the club, uh, as he's making his pitch on why John Carradine should be a member of the club, we uh, we dive into each of these short stories. I don't remember if there was three or four of them, That's but uh, was there four? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Sure. I'm I'm almost sure it was four too. But I think the last one was like a wraparound, sort of like at the end of 
Theatre of Terror. It's like a wraparound of Vincent Price's Yeah, Vincent Price's y- yeah this, they, the whole thing in the club. Right, right, yeah. So, um, but in any case, I highly recommend it for people to check that out. It is, it is a lot of fun. And if you love anthologies, great stories. And the music is awesome, too. Yeah. It's an all-around fun film. It is. It is. And just the time in the club is fun, too, right? Like, oh, yeah. aside from the stories, that wraparound is a lot of fun. Because the club's filled with, like, werewolves and mummies and stuff. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of, yeah, it's really kind of fun. Our uh, final ritual here, we've got a fear of the day. I'm going to give you guys a fear, and you guys are going to take a stab at what that fear means. Our fear of the day is blenophobia. Tom, do you want to take the first crack? Blenophobia. Okay. Gosh. Well, there's no D in it. I would almost think it's like fear of blenders or falling in a blender or having your hand chopped up by a blender. That's my best guess. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Not quite. There's no D, so it's blenophobia. Yeah, right. Anna go, because I think I got it. Uh oh. Anna. Fear of books. It is not the fear of books. But it has to do with bookworm because it it's sure fear does. of goo. It's the fear of goo and slime. Yes! <laughs> so where does the word bleno, blend come from? Does I have mean, no idea. Somehow it means ooze or something in Greek or something or Latin. Okay. Blenophobia, like... the fear of ooze. That's great. I felt like phlegm with it and it just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That works, right? Oh, that's great. No idea. Blenophobia. Right. Now I know. <laughs> and with that, Thank you for joining us for the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. I'm Tom Ryan. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy hauntings. We'll see you in hell. And that's a wrap. Awesome. Thanks, man. That was fun. That was a lot of fun.